Over the last several years, and especially after the adoption of the Patriot Act in 2001, well, many people have come to the conclusion that the current situation right here in America, it resembles that of a police state more and more. Unlike what the founding fathers of this country had imagined, it appears that the federal government has been ballooning and increasing in size and giving itself the ability to both monitor and control the American citizens more and more every single year. And so, whether it's controlling what you and I can and cannot say through their partnerships with social media companies, whether it's things like the NSA spy program, which allows for the actual warrantless surveillance of Americans, or the corollary abuse of the FISA spy warrant system, which allows for government officials to effectively spy on American citizens, whether it's the FBI allocating their precious resources to track down parents who happen to speak up at school board meetings, whether it's these domestic terrorist plots which get foiled only to later be revealed that they were actually just cases of government entrapment, or whether it's these federal bureaucrats within the intelligence agencies going ahead and influencing American elections, well, all these seemingly disparate examples, they reinforce the idea that if we're not already living in a police state, we are perhaps well in our way. And so, with that as the general background, a new film has just been released exposing exactly this problem. It's called Police State, and essentially, it serves as a wake-up call exposing the threat to the American way of life. And I was fortunate enough to have the opportunity to sit down and speak with Mr. Dinesh D'Souza. He is the director of the film, and we had a phenomenal and far-reaching discussion about not only what he was able to uncover throughout the course of his investigation, which ultimately culminated in the film, but also what the truth is like behind the scenes at these agencies, and also what can actually be done to turn back the tide. It was a phenomenal discussion that I hope you'll enjoy. And so take a super quick moment to smash those like and subscribe buttons and take a listen. Dinesh, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, maybe to start with, for the audience members who haven't seen the film yet, can you please define what a police state is and tell us wh whether, in your opinion, we're already living in one? A good way to define a police state is simply to look at police states around the world. I think, obviously, of North Korea, China, uh, Iran, the old Soviet Union, and ask what are the characteristics or traits that these countries, these states, have in common. Well, they have mass surveillance of the citizens. They have systematic censorship. They have political indoctrination in the schools and in the media, a lot of propaganda. They are one-party states. They sometimes allow elections, but they never allow effective opposition. If an effective opposition leader comes up, they try to block him, to arrest him, in some cases to exile him. Uh, pol uh, police states also tend to undermine religious liberty, uh, to go after the church, and uh, they also have political prisoners. So that's a pretty good working definition. Now, apply those characteristics to America and you will see that to one degree or another, all those traits are now present in the United States. So I'm not saying that we are a full-fledged police state, but we certainly are on our way to becoming a police state. Mm. Dinesh, let me ask you this. You know, when myself and a lot of other people think about the federal bureaucracy, we oftentimes think that well, the federal bureaucrats are overwhelmingly left-wing. I mean, you can see from the, uh, you know, the political donations uh, that something like 95% of political donations from the federal employees typically go to left-wing uh, or progressive candidates, right? But then on the flip side, when we think of law enforcement, whether it's at the local level or even at the federal level, we oftentimes think of those individuals as more conservative-leaning. And so is, is that something that you uncovered throughout the course of your investigation for making the film? Are they more conservative-leaning? Like, is that correct? 
And if so, is there any pushback against what's happening from the rank and file? Well, the typical law enforcement guy uh, is not a leftist. Is certainly not the same type of guy as, say, a staffer on a, on a Democratic committee on Capitol Hill or even somebody working in the Biden administration as a political appointee. By and large, people in law enforcement are very similar to people in the military. They tend to be people who go by the book. They've been trained all their life to sort of be company men, organization men, to follow instructions, to do what they're told, to sort of rise within the system and within the hierarchy. So their conservatism is not so much ideological, it's operational. And, and I think the police state, the problem with this is that if you are able to corrupt the system, corrupt the leadership, have strategic people who are giving you bad instructions, saying, for example, to an FBI agent, hey, look, our focus now is not, for example, on, on MS-13 and its child trafficking operation. We're now focusing on the subversives, the sort of domestic extremists who, pose a, who are the kind of people who went to the Capitol on January 6th. So here's a grandmother. She's 70 years old. But don't really worry about what she did. Your job is to bust into her apartment, grab her, twist her arms behind her back, arrest her. If she resists, pull her down the stairs, pull her into the street if necessary, let her neighbors gawk at her. And we'll let the courts figure out her real level of guilt or innocence. So you see how, by and large, a good guy who's an FBI guy, is a family, is a normal house, can somehow be recruited to do something that is so barbaric. But it's because the police state has ways of making good people do very bad things. Uh, that story you, you just told, was that a real story that you came across in your investigation? It, it mirrors many. Uh, so we have, for example, two or three very emotionally powerful profiles of political prisoners from January 6th. But we also show a lot of other ordinary people who are just going about their lives uh, and they're involved in some civic matter or the other. They might be involved, for example, as, as parents concerned about what their kids are being taught, or maybe they're pro-life activists, or maybe in some cases, just some guy who went down to Washington, D.C. around January 6th, but wasn't even involved in the events of January 6th, and is still nevertheless on a kind of suspected terrorism watch list. So the problem with police states is they become very bureaucratic, very stupid. They don't try ultimately to distinguish between even the guilty and the innocent, they become ultimately a machine for subjugating people and reducing them to a certain kind of servitude. Dinesh, uh, you know, in your film, you discussed how one of the largest pushes of, of this country towards a police state was the implementation of the Patriot Act, which of course came on the heels of 9-11, right? And now we're in a situation in 2023, starting just a few weeks ago, with uh, you know, the war between Israel and Hamas, the director of the FBI recently came out and said that uh, you know, all police chiefs around the, around the country should be on high alert for increased uh, activity, uh, potential terrorist warnings. Um, and of course, the open southern border sort of adds to that. I'll ask you two questions. The first is, do you think that resources have been shifted away from terrorism towards more like domestic threats, like parents, uh, po political enemies, such that it might actually weaken the response towards a terrorism attack by the FBI. Do you believe that's the case? 
Without a doubt, and it's not so much that I am um, conjecturing that that is the case. Um, the FBI director, Christopher Wray, has gone before Congress and said, our top priority is domestic terrorism and domestic extremism. We think that, for example, white supremacy poses a greater threat than any other uh, threat to the country today. So there is a open profession on the part of police agencies of government that they are moving uh, toward a domestic focus and toward a focus really on the political opponents of the Biden regime. So it, it's not too surprising to me that they completely missed this Hamas attack. I mean, just think about the magnitude of a thousand people being able to get past the, I mean, it's an Israel intelligence failure to be sure, but it's also a US intelligence failure. And I think that the latter is due to radically misplaced priorities. Mm. And if, if that premise is true and these misplaced priorities potentially leave a gap for something, I would hate to say it, but something similar that, would, that happened in Israel to happen in the States, where there's a surprise terrorist attack, could just be a lone actor, could be a small group. Would that justify Patriot Act 2.0? I can imagine a scenario where there's a terrorist attack, all the media would overwhelmingly begin to question why, the, you know, how do we miss this? How do the intelligence services miss this? There would be a large you know, hoopla about it. And the end result, I can easily imagine being to give more money and more power to these agencies, not, not to investigate them for their failure, but to instead just give them more authority. Do you envision that being the case? And if so, is there any way to avoid it? Well, I mean, I think that there is a danger of what you say. But on the other hand, if there was a terrorist attack, let's just say by Hamas in America, uh, this would cause a problem for the left. The reason it causes a problem is that the immediate target would be, of course, American Muslims. Uh, in other words, who, how did Hamas establish these cells? Who are these people and where do they live and so on? So for the left, remember the left was actually very aggressive in defending the civil liberties of Muslims in the aftermath of 9-11. And to some degree, they were correct. But those same organizations that funded lawyers and uh, erected a massive apparatus to defend uh, Muslims in the aftermath of 9-11 have gone totally silent when the target is conservatives and patriots and, of course, the defendants of, of January 6th. So I foresee the left trying much more to fan the flames of fear in other ways. So, for example, climate change is very good for them. So, because, because it is events of fear that cause people to want to say, all right, I'm willing to give up this liberty. If we think about the events that have caused the greatest subtraction of liberties in this country, 9-11 was one of them. Fast forward to COVID, that was another. January 6th was a third. So the left has opportunistically realized that fear is a great weapon to get people to say, all right, I'm willing to exchange a good part of my freedom in exchange for the security and safety that you're promising me. Mm. Let me ask you this. In, um, in the film, you were, during the one part, you were discussing the Hunter Biden laptop story and how it was suppressed by, by the intelligence services. And this is something you said in the film. This is a quote. The police agencies of the government acting on behalf of the Bidens moved to suppress public discourse of the contents of the Hunter Biden laptop. So here you said acting on behalf of the Bidens. In, in your investigation, how do, how do you figure that? Is it, is it the case that you believe that they're acting on behalf, as in like Joe Biden or Obama or, or someone else set, tells, you know, this is the objective, this is what I want you to do? Or is it just kind of a coalescing 
uh, sort of ideology that drives everyone in the same direction. And looking outside, it sort of seems like it's being directed, but it could not be. It could just be a bunch of different people who are driven by the same ideology moving towards a common goal. W which of the two? No, I actually am referring to things in a very specific way. The police agencies of the U.S. government are part of the executive branch. They are, it is true, funded by Congress, but they answer to Biden. I mean, who does Merrick Garland work for? He works for Biden. He is, he is Biden's, in a sense, chief lawyer. I remember in the Obama years, he referred to Eric Holder, who was Merrick Garland's equivalent, as his wingman. This is his wingman, like a, uh, you know, kind of an analogy from, uh, from, um, from being a pilot. And um, so I think that these police agencies recognize that they are answerable to Biden. So they are working on behalf of him in that sense. But they're also working on behalf of him in a different sense. And that is that the police state, any police state, uh, any tyrannical regime is always going to say, who are my friends who are helping to build the police state? And then who are my enemies who are threatening the police state? So I think from the point of view of these police agencies of government, not just the FBI, but the Department of Homeland Security and also the CIA, they basically say the Democrats and the left are helping us construct a police state. They are our friends. They are, in fact, protecting our crimes. So we need to protect their crimes. Uh, and by contrast, Trump, the conservatives, these, this is a problem. Uh, you know, if Trump comes back in, who knows what he's going to do? Who knows he's, who he's going to fire? How he's going to dismantle and reorganize the FBI, for example? So he poses a mortal danger, if you will, to the police state. And so the police state relentlessly goes after him. Sometimes when we say, oh, there's a double standard, the police state is treating Trump differently than Biden. Well, that's only if you assume that the police state is somehow impartial and aspires to hold itself to a single standard of law abidingness. But if the police state is looking at it differently, who are my friends who are my enemies then the police state's actions are completely consistent mm. and so w when you say the, the police state's actions are completely consistent you're, you're i guess I, I imagine talking about sort of the upper echelon of the decision makers not necessarily the rank and file but the people like mayor garland right who, who are at the top making the decisions so let me ask you along that line are you familiar with project 2025 i've heard of it it's it's a project such that once if a conservative president were to take uh, take power in twenty well twenty twenty five, uh, he would have um, a database to pull from to replace some of the people in government uh, to 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 be more conservatively ideologically aligned. Do you think that's a an actual solution to replace the people at the top, uh, or would that just be a band aid? Because then when the administrations change. Towards the left, it would still be the same problem. What, what would be the actual solution? Would it be stripping power from these agencies? You need a. Uh, this is a battle on many fronts. Uh, so, for example, when you take censorship, uh, this is something for the Supreme Court to handle. And uh, happily, the the case of Missouri versus Biden is making its way to the court. The court has already granted cert. They'll be hearing the case. They'll be issuing a ruling in the spring. Uh, these things move more slowly than I would like because I know millions of people have been censored over the past few years. Millions of people are being censored now. The court is allowing millions of people to continue to be censored until they make their decision in the spring. But nevertheless, they have a chance, the Supreme Court does, to administer a massive drop kick to the, to the uh, police state. Now, there are other things that you can do uh, if you win the presidency. You can revamp agencies of government. You can do, you know, if you, and then if you have the House and the Senate, 
Senate, there are things you can do legislatively. Even if you don't have those things, but you have Republican governors and secretaries of state and attorneys general, there are things that can be done at the state level. There are things that we as individuals can do. So there's a, this is a case where there's not a single solution, but the police state need to, needs to be resisted on all fronts, and that's the way to roll it back. About a month ago, my team and I were doing a special segment on what took place over in Michigan with the entrapment. Uh, Of course, you're aware of it with uh, Gresham Whitmer and that case. And we reached out to an individual. He's a reporter uh, named Trevor Aronson. He wrote a book called The Terror Factory, Inside the FBI's Manufactured War on Terrorism. Now, we thought that we would reach out to him and get get his expert opinion on what happened in Michigan. Uh, But he sent us back an email, and it it, it really surprised my team and I. I want to read this email to you and get get your take, because it it sort of uh, fits into the motif of the film. He wrote this to us, quote, Conservative media have done a very good job of amplifying the Michigan case to make it appear as if the FBI is disproportionately targeting conservatives, when in fact, stings like the one in Michigan are exceedingly rare compared to the hundreds of stings that have targeted people of color and left-wing activists over the past two decades. He says, I can count on one hand the number of terrorism stings that target the right-wing white men in America. By contrast, more than 350 defendants, mostly people of color, have been caught up in international terrorism stings. What, what would your response be to, to a criticism like that? Well, look, uh, Trevor Aronson has done some really good work in showing real abuses of power by the police agencies of government after 9-11 vis-a-vis Muslims. Uh, and I think what happened is that the FBI and all these agencies got a big trove of cash from the government to go after terrorism. And then after 9-11, they might have expected there to be a lot of other incidents, but there weren't. And it may be because U.S. bombings abroad and so on had immobilized those groups and they weren't able to carry out that kind of attack. But the bureaucratic agencies of government were like, okay, well, our funding is going to dry up. So we need to manufacture some terrorism. And so that now they started their, their, their entrapment campaign and they've become really good at it. And Trevor Aronson has actually documented it pretty well. So I agree with him. Going all the way in the years after 9-11, the, the, the FBI and these other agencies became really sneaky about going to, I'm just talking generally here, but they'd find some students who are radical and denounce America. And then the FBI informant goes, well, hey, you know, have you guys thought about joining ISIS? No, not really, man. Well, you know, you, you're saying all these things. You want to be a soldier for Islam and so on. Why don't you join ISIS? Well, I don't know how I would join ISIS. Well, guess what? There's a training camp that's going on in Pakistan. Have you ever thought of going? Would you like to go? Well, I don't have any money. Well, how about if we give you some money? Well, I don't have a passport. Well, how about if we get you a passport? So you see what's going on here? The FBI is luring someone who might be radical, but into doing something that they would not otherwise do. And then right before they're set to do it, Bust them. Oh, we are amazing. We just busted a dangerous terrorist. So Trevor Aronson has done a good job exposing this. Now, interestingly, when the target becomes conservatives, patriots, Christians, Republicans, Trevor Aronson has kind of gone silent. And so this guy is not, as it turns out, a consistent defender of civil liberties. If he were, he'd be defending them across the board. But he is ultimately concerned about the civil, the civil liberties of the left. Let's remember the left was a big defender of free speech in the 60s. Why? Because they were the ones who were being targeted. But the moment that they got power in the universities, they were happy to turn around and suppress the free speech of conservatives. So it turns out that these leftists are not committed to civil liberties per se. 
They only mean civil liberties for them. Notice that when Elon Musk banned a couple of leftists on X, then called Twitter, for one day, they were screaming, what about our free speech? Quoting John Stuart Mill. So they value free speech, but they value free speech for themselves. And yet they're happy to trample on the free speech of other people. Mm. So you mentioned the January 6th cases. Um, we ran a story recently, uh, just earlier this week, about Jake Lang. He's been, uh, well, in soli- well, in semi-solitary confinement, but jailed for the last 1,000 days, basically uh, since uh, 2020, 2021. So shortly after uh, January 6th, he was jailed in upstate New York. They took him over to Virginia. He's been there ever since. In your investigation, did you uncover how or why this is happening? Because the more I look into it, the more it just seems like these judges are putting these individuals into indefinite confinement pending trial. Uh, but there's no real reason other than, hey, they're a flight risk or they're a danger to the community, even though that does not, on the surface at least, seem to be the case. Do you know, do you have any insight into that? Yeah, it, it all comes down to the validity of the original narrative. If January 6th was truly a kind of insurrection to overthrow the government, then these are dangerous insurrectionists, including, by the way, someone who strolled in the Capitol for five minutes, didn't harm anything, didn't do even a graffiti, uh, was there while officers were present and left without harming anyone. Even that guy is part of this insurrection. So then judges look at that and go, well, I'm looking at an insurrectionist. Well, how can I let that guy go home to his family? Who knows what he's going to be plotting? He might be concocting the next insurrection right now, for all I know. Now, to you and me and, and in a normal frame of mind, this is like a form of lunacy. That is actually not a correct judgment. That is not who that guy is. That is not why he went to Washington, D.C. That's not even why he found himself in the Capitol. So there's a driving falsehood that has to be attacked. And that's really what the movie does, is it doesn't try to parse. If you if you accept the assumption, then the individual cases all fall into line. You have to attack the root assumption. And, and that's what the movie does. It really asks, what is the true meaning of January 6th? And it, and it explores the police state in many dimensions that go way beyond the current debate. Dinesh, can you leave the audience with a bit of hope? L- leave them with a bit of hope for the future. What, what, what are some positives on the horizon? What can be done? Well, the hope is that the um, awareness of an emerging police state will bring out a certain aspect in the American character that has long been in the American character. And that is that we will not put up with tyranny. We are not those kinds of people. We want to be left alone. We want to live our own lives. You know, I remember watching many years ago on the Nature Channel, the idea that although the predator is fast, the antelope is actually faster. But the antelope needs to know that there's a predator in the trees. And if the antelope knows that, the antelope is going to take off and the antelope is going to be able to save itself. It's only when the antelope is lulled into a false sense of security. Oh, I hear a movement in the trees, but you know, Dinesh, it's the wind. Or, yeah, there may be a predator, but it's going to land on somebody else's back, not mine. This is the mentality that the police state loves. They love to get get you because you're gullible. And so my movie is sort of an antidote to this kind of gullibility. Well, Dinesh, thank you so much. For anyone watching, we'll throw a link to the movie. It'll be down there in the description box below. Otherwise, Dinesh, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure.
question of why America continues to be plagued by mass shootings is being asked once again. After a gunman in Maine killed at least 22 people during a senseless rampage last night. Person of interest, 40-year-old Robert Card, seen here in these grainy surveillance images, armed with an assault-style weapon. And as per usual, before they even caught the cretin, sick opportunists rushed to exploit the carnage to push their demented, hysterical obsessions. Yeah, the same people who had public meltdowns over anyone even suggesting a political motivation when a transgender activist shot up a Christian school. Wasted zero time in insisting that a seemingly random mass shooting driven by extreme mental illness was in fact politically motivated. Another white man, Robert Card, is suspected of murdering at least 10 or perhaps up to 22 people. FBI Director Christopher Wray has been warning us for years that white males are the most dangerous terrorist threat in America. Really? Must be a lot of trigger-happy white males in Chicago every weekend, eh? Probably not the best idea to play the race card after every mass shooting, because you'll likely run into trouble. Before the bodies were even cold, left-wing website Heavy.com had Robert Card's politics all figured out. The shooter followed a MAGA page and Elon Musk. Wow, I guess Elon Musk's other 161 million followers should be treated as potential mass shooters too. Based on that watertight logic, he liked a post by former House Speaker Kevin McCarthy complaining about Biden's policies causing record inflation. He liked a post by Tucker Carlson talking about the trans movement being the mirror image of Christianity. Well, there you have it. Because one violent nutcase with mental health issues who should have been locked up liked a few posts on the internet. That means Biden's policies aren't causing inflation, the trans movement is completely wholesome, and Donald Trump's supporters are basically all domestic terrorists. I mean, I'm convinced, are you? Oh yeah, he also liked a post by that cat turd account on Twitter complaining about vote fraud too. Well, that explains it then. Why even bother having an investigation case closed? We know for sure here that because the narrative isn't too awkward, if there is any kind of manifesto, we'll probably know about it within days. Unlike in the case of a certain other mass shooting, where a manifesto which was known to exist and explained the reasons behind the attack still hasn't seen the light of day. A manifesto which spelled out in plain English why they them did it. Oh, you're not allowed to talk about that. Robert Card liking a cat turd post though, well that's bombshell information. A white man can go shoot and kill more than 20 people in this damn country but they won't call him a terrorist. The media will post cute family pics and say he had a mental illness. But he did have a mental illness, he was literally in an asylum. Another white boy, white people moment. Are we allowed to call him a terrorist? because isn't that what terrorists do or isn't he brown enough to qualify? If he was brown it would have been labelled a terrorist attack. Nah, if he was brown it would have been forgotten about within 24 hours and all the media would have been worried about was the potential backlash against brown people. Also, it's 2023 and people still can't grasp the definition of the word terrorist, meaning politically motivated. No matter how much you want it to be politically motivated, it really doesn't look like it was. We're entering a new realm of tyranny. The three-letter agencies which were once symbols of protection and order seem to have been weaponized against the American people. The IRS has amassed an arsenal of 4,500 guns, 5 million rounds of ammunition, 621 shotguns, 539 sniper rifles and 15 submachine guns. All to deal with the American people while the border remains virtually undefended. If only Maine had enacted the same gun control measures as California, the state with the strictest gun control measures, that's also number one in the country for active shooter incidents. Okay, maybe not then. What strikes me is that this wretch of a human who was trained as a firearms instructor threatened to shoot up a National Guard base, which presumably would have been well armed and well defended and he wouldn't have got very far, but instead he chose to shoot up a bowling alley full of defenceless people just going about their lives, including children. Stories about families desperately trying to act 
act as human shields to protect their kids. Really emphasize how much of a cowardly cretin this guy was. If people see him, they should not approach Card or make contact with him in any way. Authorities are still on the hunt for Card, who so far remains at large. The FBI sending in aviation units to help in the search. Lewiston police releasing this photo of Card's white Subaru, which authorities have now traced to a location in Lisbon, Maine. Many are rightly asking whether the Fed's relentless obsession with creating political prisoners in America has distracted them from keeping tabs on actual violent criminals like this. Card threatened to carry out a mass shooting, saying he was hearing voices in his head. He was known to authorities as a violent threat with serious mental health issues. He was committed to a mental health facility a few months ago, yet released just two weeks later. Why? And who made that decision given Card had openly stated his intention to do exactly what he did? Are we likely to see many more Robert Cards going postal? Due to FBI resources being used on seemingly more pressing issues, like concerned parents protesting school board meetings, Donald Trump supporters attending MAGA rallies, spying on Catholics attending church group meetings to uncover their far-right nationalist tendencies, arresting grandmothers in their homes for being present during J6, and prosecuting people like Owen Schroyer, who didn't even go inside the Capitol building for the crime of giving a speech outside. How many resources has the DOJ's, quote, most wide-ranging investigation in history, January 6th, taken away from the feds being able to identify the next Robert Card before tragedy strikes again? One guy said voices in his head are telling him to shoot up military bases and was released from a mental asylum. The other guy held up Pelosi's podium. Guess which one was hunted down by the FBI in the name of fighting domestic terror? All we can hope for at this point is that that they actually prioritise catching this monster before he claims any more innocent lives. All right, people of the internet, I'm Dave Rubin. This is The Rubin Report. It's October 23rd, 2023. We're live streaming on Rumble, YouTube, and Locals. Tap that notification bell if you have not. And if you want to join us for the post game, rubinreport.locals.com. And now back to Rubin. Okay, so one of the, the slivers of people that you know I focus on all the time when I was, from an election perspective, is who can move, right? If we were, if we even remove these last couple weeks of events, who is it with this presidential election coming up that might be able to move? And I've been saying for a long time, it's those disaffected libs. It's the guys like me from years ago who kind of woke up to the lunacy of the Democrat party. Now, if we flash forward to everything that's happening in these last two weeks, I think an awful lot of liberals are waking up and they're realizing the radicalism of the Democrat party and they're radical. They're realizing how BLM, which was a complete farce from the beginning and actually a violent organization that was terrorizing our streets, how basically overnight they flipped it into somehow a pro Hamas organization. So good liberals. And there are, even if you're a, a staunch conservative watching this, you know that there are good liberals, that there certainly were good liberals, JFK, was a good liberal, right? Everyone knows this. The, the battle in America used to be from, say, a little more of a traditional conservative, usually a more religious person, and a liberal who was not completely insane and woke and crazy, but maybe wanted a little bit bigger government to kind of help on the margins. That was, a, that was what a healthy America had for at least a century, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but because that group now is waking up, right, a whole bunch of them are like, whoa, 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 we're Democrats, but we're not for beheading children. Uh, I think it is worth trying to welcome them with open arms. Uh, Bill Maher, yeah, I'm starting with Bill Maher today, uh, is one of those guys, and I don't know that he will ever get to the finish line, but he is now consistently repeating things that conservatives have been saying for years. 
So here he is talking about going to college, specifically Ivy Leagues. By the way, he's, he went to an Ivy League college himself. He went to, to Cornell, not too far from where I went, SUNY Binghamton, although he's got a couple of years on me. Uh, but here he is once again waking up sort of slow motion conservative, decent liberals eventually coming around to the more conservative position. And I think that'll set us up nicely for today's show. Go! And finally, new rule as an Ivy League graduate who knows the value of a liberal education, I have one piece of advice for the youth of America. Don't go to college. <laughs> and if you absolutely have to go, don't go to an elite college, because as recent events have shown, it just makes you stupid. <laughs> there are few, if any, positives to come out of what happened in Israel, but one of them is opening America's eyes to how higher education has become indoctrination into a stew of bad ideas, among them the simplistic notion that the world is a binary place where everyone is either an oppressor or oppressed. In the case of Israel, oppressors being babies and bubbas. The same students who will tell you that words are violence and silence is violence were very supportive when Hamas terrorists went on a rape and murder rampage worthy of the Vikings. They knew where to point the fingers at the murdered, and then it was off to ethics class. 34 student groups at Harvard signed a letter that said the apartheid regime is the only one to blame, proving they don't know what constitutes apartheid. They don't know much of anything, actually. But it doesn't deter them from having an opinion. They've convinced themselves Israel is the most repressive regime in history because they have no knowledge of history or even a desire to know it. And actual history doesn't come up in their intersectionality of politics and genderqueer identities class. <laughs> Okay, so I know you're probably at the same time having two emotions watching that. You're going, oh, it's nice you're waking up, and you're probably also thinking, oh, you're probably not going to get to the finish line, Bill, because he probably will vote for a Democrat in the end. So I don't want to make this about the partisan part. What I want to make this about is he, as I always, often say, he's sort of an avatar for the last liberals, and they can change. And what he is now saying, this idea of don't go to college and their indoctrination centers, and you know, I always say it's like they, they send you to college. College used to be where you learn how to think, not what to think. It's become completely reversed. They know nothing of history. They, they say these crazy words of oppressed and oppressor and apartheid and all these things, and, and none of it means anything. We're gonna show you some specific examples of how confused they are in, in just a moment. Uh, but the point is, for him to say to his audience and, and the millions of people who watch, don't go to college, you know, when he said that, the audience didn't know what to do. There was that pause, and then a couple people kind of applauded. But this has been a conservative opinion for a long time, that colleges are indoctrination centers. How did we get here? Seven years ago, when I was going to college campuses, and me and Jordan Peterson and Ben Shapiro and all those like scary right-wingers, when we were going to college campuses and being called Nazis and racists, and we'd have to have security everywhere we went, it was like, everyone used to say to me, Dave, Dave, don't, oh, it's just college kids. Stop making such a big deal about it. Over time, over decades, all of those college kids who had their brains broken in college and learned all of the worst ideas, they ended up in the real world and they end up at companies and they import all these woke ideas and now look at all of our institutions. So the fact that he is out there now saying, what is it? I mean, think about it. If you just think about it from a purely political perspective, don't go to college. No Democrat would want you. To, Democrats want everyone in college, right? They want you in debt. 
They want you in college debt so then they can come back and say, ah, we solved your debt. And they want you indoctrinated because they know where, where would, when Bernie said, well, we should have free college for everybody, right? It's like, does Bernie really want you to learn the plethora of ideas? Does he really want you to get a true education, the socialists? Or do they know the best place to get their, their time-tested wrong ideas steeped into the brains of young people would be at college, right? College used to make you think outside of the box. That was the idea. Now it makes you think inside of the box. That is what they are doing. And, it, and it's rotting an entire generation, which we will get to, uh, we'll get to some, specific example, ex- some specific examples of in just a sec. Okay, so why would Bill Maher now, Bill Maher, who went to an Ivy League school, who is a, a, a liberal elitist. I don't, I don't even mean that in a judgmental way. I mean, he's a Hollywood guy. He's worth probably a hundred million bucks like that. I don't begrudge him any of those things, right? But he's a liberal, he's a liberal thought leader. Why would he be saying, hey, liberals, because that's who his audience is, don't send your kids to these indoctrination centers? Because, and the reason obviously is because he is now seeing that liberalism seemingly cannot stand up against wokeism. Now I'd like to show you a tweet from Greta Thunberg, who is a true wizard. Uh, Greta, of course, the climate, I almost, uh, I would I had a funny one there, but I didn't, so I'm not saying it. Oh, damn, she's a climate chick. Uh, here she is, uh, a tweet from her, week 270. Today we strike in solidarity with Palestine and Gaza. The world needs to speak up and call for an immediate ceasefire, justice, and freedom for Palestinians and civilians affected. Just, just leave it up for a second. First, look how happy these chicks are. All these people end up endlessly miserable. Greta Thunberg, how old is she? She's like 15. She looks like she's 72, right? Like they all end up with that frumpled brow and just miserable. They're just, they're just misery and hate there. This Jew stands with Palestine. Yeah, go, go to Gaza, lady. Okay. Uh, anyway. The climate activists, you might go, well, wait a minute. What do the climate activists have to do with Gaza? Also, she, stand, she, has, she says she stands with Gaza and Palestine. Saying you stand for Palestine or what's going on between Palestine and Israel makes no sense. It would be like saying what's going on in Israel versus Israel, because as you know, there would, never was a state of Palestine, right? Okay, fine. I accept that they're all just kind of ridiculous. But you look at these young people and you go, well, why are young people rampaging through these colleges? Why are they out on the street, why are they screaming there's a genocide when if you look, we're gonna show you a graph in a second, the population of Gaza is exploding, it's going up this way, right? Um, why are they so confused about all of these issues? Well, it's because of that education thing that Bill Maher was referencing. So now I wanna show you this video. This is a spectacular video that I saw over the weekend. Uh, it's by a guy by the name of Yosef Hadid. He is an Isra- he's an Israeli Arab, so he lives in Israel. He's Arab, not Jewish. Full equality, he was a member of the IDF, the Israel Defense Forces, uh, and he is the CEO of a, of a nonprofit called Together Vouch for Each Other, which is an organization that's devoted to bringing Arabs and Jews together in Israel. So here he is, uh, we're showing his video now, right? Yeah, so here he is uh, at a, this, what do you call this thing? It's like uh, one of these Palestine booths. You know, they've got these, oh, are we not doing that? Oh, sorry. There's two things we're doing here. We're first going to, he created this video uh, of Greta. You're going to remember this famous Greta video uh, from way back when about climate change and watch how he fiddled with it to, uh, to make it effective. 
This is all wrong. I shouldn't be up here. I should be back in school. How dare you? You have stolen my dreams and my childhood with your empty words. And yet, I'm one of the lucky ones. People are suffering. People are dying. How dare you continue to look away? You say you hear us and that you understand the urgency. If you really understood the situation and still kept on failing to act, then you would be evil and that I refuse to believe. How dare you pretend that this can be sold with just business as usual? You are failing us. We will not let you get away with this. Right here, right now, is where we draw the line. The world is waking up. And change is coming, whether you like it or not. Thank you. As you can see, very clever what he did right there. Like when you take her words and then you apply them to this, things are a little bit different. The other video that I was referencing, he went to one of these booths. You know, they've got these booths at these college campuses where these people are all pro-Palestine and he just gets into it with one of these people and they just don't know what they're talking about, which is a perfect segue to this next video. Uh, this is a video of a Norwegian student in Poland and check out her poster and then a, an interviewer goes up to her to ask her a bit more about what she thinks about this conflict. Hello girls, uh, tell me where are you from and uh, why did you came out today? Uh, I'm from Norway, uh, I study here in Poland but I'm here to, uh, to support the Palestinian and mm -hmm. people and their rights and Hopefully there will be a free Palestine. So you're holding such a postal, keep the world clean, uh, I say from Jews, yes? No, uh, no, 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 not Jews. Not Jews? No, Jews? no. of course not Jews. Uh, really, freedom of religion, religion is also a human right, which we support. Uh, but we do not support the Israeli government and the ethnical genocide they're doing right now um, to the Palestinian people. Uh, but Jews, we love everyone. We love Jews. Jews and Christians and Muslims, they're all welcome to the God, it's, it's incredible. I'm gonna be showing a lot of these types of videos, I think, going forward to just show you how these people have no idea what they're talking about. Uh, so uh, there's a lot of things I could nitpick there, right? Um, let's start with this, this idea that Israel is committing genocide and there has been a 75 year genocide of the Palestinian people. Check out this chart and, and you should check it out on your own. Don't take my word for it. You can do a little Googling. The population of Gaza from 1960 to now, it has basically, uh, not, not tripled, it is five times, five X basically from about a million to five million people. Uh, this is the worst genocide of all time. Uh, obviously, uh, when you're committing genocide, the population is going to go down. Genocide would be something like what the Germans did to the Jews in the Holocaust, right? Six million people, it goes down. And then all of what those people were going to have babies and everything else. You lose generations of people in a genocide. There, there simply is no genocide. Also, it's very clear. And this is, this is one of the tricks they're all playing. They're not going after Jews, right? It's not about Jews. Sure, I've got the Jewish star in a garbage can. It's not about Jews. It's about those Israelis. It's the Israeli government. Those are the main guys. And she wants a free Palestine, but they'll never really define what that means. What she means, I think, in essence, and what they really do mean, especially because so many of them are chanting from the river to the sea, right? The Jordan River to the Mediterranean Sea. That is the whole of Israel. We would like to take all of these 
people out. So what is this oddly, not religious, what is this oddly cult-like behavior of Greta Thunberg who doesn't say anything about babies being burned and, and women being beheaded? By the way, the Israeli government this morning, they did an hour press conference with, with about 100 international journalists to show some of the images that they've been holding back and show some camera footage that soldiers had, you know, when they have little cameras on their, on their outfits and everything. And there are beheadings and like, it's, it's all of the worst unimaginable stuff. People that are, that are tied together that are, you know, with metal, metal, metal wiring that were burned alive and like, yeah, all, all of the stuff, you know, all that. But why is it there's no sympathy for that? Why is it that, you know, 1300 Israelis are killed in cold blood and suddenly worldwide, everyone's screaming about free Palestine, even though there's not one Jew or Israeli or settlement in Gaza, right? Hitler would love the place. Well, it's partly because intersectionality has made everybody stupid. And where do they teach intersectionality? It's at the colleges. So again, Bill Maher is right. So you end up with these woke trans activists who are out there protesting for a group of people, Hamas and the Palestinian movement as a whole, who would gladly behead them. So speaking of, uh, trans activists. Uh, here is a trans activist. And there's a shit. Didn't want to curse. There's a lot of these videos out there. This is just one. Here's a trans activist explaining how being trans in America is very similar to being uh, a Gazan during a war. Go. I keep getting comments that if I was in Gaza, I would be killed for being queer. And first off, there are queer people in Gaza and they're being killed for being Palestinian. Secondly, I don't need to move across the ocean to experience violence for being queer. I literally had to evacuate my place six months ago because people were so violent and sending me death threats, literally hunting me down for being trans. This is in the United States of America. The United States of America for trans people is in stage seven and eight. Palestine is in nine and 10. There there is a reason why the United States was the only country who vetoed a United Nations Security Council resolution. There is a reason why our government is so adamant about saying level the place. There is a reason why this country continues to ignore what's happening in Palestine because our country is built on genocide. And by the way, Hitler, he also attacked queer people. There's a reason why we were forced to wear pink triangles. And also, he literally got his ideas for concentration camps from the United States of America. History is repeating itself right now, and how dare you try to weaponize my queerness in order to manipulate me to support genocide. I will never stand by Israel's actions. I won't stand by Israel in general. And if you're queer and you are standing with Israel, you're wrong, and you really need to take a step back and evaluate your morals and values. Look, frankly, I don't think you need me to analyze any of that. So instead, I'd like to show you a 10 or 15 second video that I found of that dude putting on his makeup. Oh, oh, this is just, you look fabulous. Look at you. And a little more on the cheeks. And a little more on the Like, do I have to add commentary to what we just saw? It's all so stupid. Anyway, here's a dude in a dress leading a uh, pro-Palestine protest in Washington, D.C. All right, I wanna be very clear about this. If any of you know who that man in a dress is, who's also wearing a mask outdoors, I have no idea why, uh, I will put 10 
$10,000, I am not kidding, $10,000 to send that man an address to Gaza. You know what, $20,000. You know what I mean? Fly first class, I'll get you a couple nice dresses, we'll get you some Manolo Blahniks, that's the type of shoe, Jimmy Choo's, whatever you want, and I'd like to send you to Gaza, you masked dude in a dress screaming for people who would love to behead you. It is, it is so extraordinary. Like if you can't see what's going on right now, and that, that's, again, I do think there is a silver lining happening here. There really is something happening here. I know everything seems worse right now, right? Like there, there's something unbelievably horrific happened and, and there's now still fallout from that. And there's, there's, we could potentially be on the verge of World War III. There's an existential battle happening right now. Like there's all of that. But the silver lining is good, decent people who I get it, they're quiet. They're not out there protesting and screaming. So we're only seeing the crazies. But good, decent people see videos like that and they get, they get what's going on. So now I wanna show you uh, what's happening across the world because we're seeing these crazy dudes in dresses screaming for free Palestine. I wanna just say Joan Rivers, by the way, like who's better than Joan, Joan you give me Joan Rivers and Miss Piggy any day. They're be, they would be better political analysts than what you're seeing on CNN. Anyway, all over the world right now, we are seeing these, these crazy, they're pro-Hamas protests. They're not pro-Palestine protests, okay? They're just not. There is no one at these protests that is like, guys, Hamas was bad. I'm, I'm for the Palestinian people, but Hamas was bad. No, they are suddenly all screaming from the river to the sea. They're talking about the end of the 75-year occupation, which as I always say is odd because they seemingly, 75 years ago, that's when the British Empire was there. There never was a state of Palestine, so they, they want the British to come back. I don't know any British people who want the British Empire to come back. Um, but all over the place, and, and London has been a hotbed for this. There are hundreds of thousands of people out on the streets. I don't know how you could be a, a Jewish person or anyone who loves the West or, or a true British citizen uh, and feel safe in, in London right now. Uh, there are these massive, there are calls for jihad and that we should be, have Muslim armies take over the world and everything else. But look what the British police are up to. They found two white guys with an old English flag and they're not happy with them. For the moment, anything racist or even close no, to racism no, is said. The moment anything gets anything close to that, all right? It's a verbal warning to the guys holding the old flag of England, right? Most people think of the, of the UK flag. That's the old flag of, of England. Yeah, it's the, well, it's the current flag of England, but people think of the British flag, right? The UK flag. Uh, and th those guys are the ones who have to worry about being racist. There are literally people out there saying, kill all the Jews, river to the sea. Like who is more indigenous? It's those hundreds of thousands of people who have been imported into England who are calling for a worldwide caliphate or, or is it the Jews in the ancient land of Israel? Like, again, it's just like, just if you've got any brain cells left, and I know you do if you're watching this, it's like you can just see the truth and hopefully spread it a little bit more, but this this radicalism that's and it's happening in Paris and it's happening in Brussels, and all over the place. Uh, it is leading to to genuinely bad things. Not only uh, uh, that millions of people no longer feel safe in, in their homes and in their communities, uh, but this is out of Detroit. So this is from uh, Rashida Tlaib's district. Now Rashida Tlaib, as far as I'm concerned, she is a member of the Hamas caucus. She is a Hamas. Supporter, she has no problem with as many dead Jews. I think she's radically anti-American. I think if the Democrats had any balls, they would figure out a way to censure her at least, at the very least, uh, but really probably kick her out of Congress. But the party is is just an abject disaster at this point. 
Um, well, in her very district, uh, the president of a synagogue outside of Detroit was found stabbed to death over the weekend. Uh, a little clear what might have happened, unclear what might have happened. Turning now to the urgent investigation underway in Detroit after the murder of a synagogue president. Police say Samantha Wall was found stabbed to death outside her home this weekend. Officials say all possible motives are being investigated. Authorities tell ABC News no evidence has surfaced to suggest the killing was motivated by anti-Semitism. ABC's Alex Prochet is in Detroit tonight. Tonight, authorities in Detroit on high alert after the brutal murder of the president of a local synagogue. Detroit police say Samantha Wold was found around 6.30 a.m. Saturday outside her home. The 40-year-old stabbed multiple times, a trail of blood leading back to her townhouse. She was pronounced dead at the scene. Wohl had led the Isaac Agri Synagogue in downtown Detroit since last year. I'm just numb at this moment. You know, Sam was such an amazingly kind person. Um, I can't imagine anything like this happening to her. Late today, Wohl's body laid to rest. Her family remembering her as a beautiful soul. Our world is shattered without you. You brought us light. Randomly stabbed multiple times. We, we don't know if it's anti-Semitism. I'm sure that the mainstream media would run it the same way if it was the president of a mosque, like, which of course would be equally horrific, right? You cannot kill innocent people because of bloodlust from across the world. But when a member of Congress is out there basically excusing, right? Rashida Tlaib, is, it's not that she's basically excusing. She is in essence cheering on the bloodlust of Hamas. And then suddenly, randomly, a, a president of a synagogue in her district gets stabbed to death on the street. I guess we'll have to figure out what that means, but it's not just Rashida Tlaib, right? None of the squad, and we've shown you plenty of videos of AOC, she has no idea what she's talking about relative to the geography or the history, right? She is LARPing as a congresswoman. She is an actress, like a complete buffoon actress. Uh, but here I wanna show you Ilhan Omar, who is, I would say, it's, it's hard to decide. You know, AOC's kind of the worst because she's the most, influential. Rashida is like a genuine, like America-hating evil person. And, and Ilhan, is, I, I don't know how you, you have to figure it out for yourself. Like there's good arguments every which way on who's the worst of the three of them. Uh, but here's a journalist in the Capitol trying to uh, ask Ilhan Omar if Hamas is bad. Did they do anything bad? Like she could just turn and say, yeah, beheading children is bad, but no, she can't do it. Ignore this crazy lady, don't worry about her. Those are all completely legitimate questions. And you have to understand, Ilhan Omar does support Hamas. How hard would it be for her, even if she doesn't believe it? Like if she was smart and doesn't believe it, let's say it is my belief, and I think it's fairly obvious, the evidence proves it, that she supports Hamas. She would gladly, I think she would gladly, gladly have those 8 million Jews killed. You'd have to kill a whole bunch of Israeli Arabs. She would be fine with another genocide. I think she deeply hates America. She came here, ascertained incredible power. She's destroyed Minnesota. Okay, fine. But how hard would it be if she was just like trying to be a little bit better? Not even trying to be a little bit better. If she was trying to be a little more clever, for her own side, shouldn't she just turn to the person and say, well, of course, you know, Hamas beheading children is bad, but I, but I stand up for the people of Gaza. Like that wouldn't be that hard to say, but she won't even give an inch on that. And nobody in the Democrat party, nobody has the balls 
to say anything about it. Now, you might go, well, why is that? The pr and the problem with the Democrat Party is not only is it being captured by these radicals, as you know, but the guy up top, we are to believe that Joe Biden is, is in charge of the Democrat Party. And I just don't know how at this point, after these years of, of watching him stammer and stumble through everything and fall up the stairs, which again, is always a skill unto itself. Most people fall down the stairs. He usually falls up the stairs how anyone could think he is in charge. So we don't know who really is in charge. A lot of people think it's the Obama machine and everything else, but we know that Biden would never put down the radicals in his own party. So he gave a, he gave a talk at the Oval Office uh, and you know he managed to read off the teleprompter, like kind of, I'll give credit where credit's due. Like for him, it wasn't like the most slurry thing ever. What are they doing to his face? I think this is worth noting. We know that they are drugging him beyond imagination, but they're also pumping him all full of things, which is why sometimes it looks like he has testicles hanging off his chin. Sometimes his face, like what is going on here? But also listen to the words. See, tell me if what he says here is, does this really seem like it's the issue at the moment? If you're, if you're watching this is what he's really referencing here and the hate in this country and who it's aimed at. Is this really the problem right now? Take a look. And I know many of you in the Muslim American community, the Arab American community, the Palestinian American community, and so many others are outraged and hearty, saying to yourselves, here we go again with Islamophobia and distrust we saw after 9-11. Just last week, a mother was brutally stabbed, a little boy here in the United States. Okay, first off. Nobody should be brutally stabbed. We cannot bring sectarian violence from across the world over here. But when you see all those protests, when they're screaming from the sea, river to the sea and all that, the stark difference between the, the what are generally smaller uh, protests because people are nervous to be out there supporting Israel and supporting America. I mean, at the, at the Israel protests, the pro-Israel protests, they're talking about bring our children home. Uh, they're talking about their love for America, their love for their country. Um, there is no chant of kill anybody or erase anybody or anything else, but that he somehow makes it seem that Islamophobia is the problem right now. First off, a phobia is an irrational fear. Everywhere that Islam as a religion has taken root in the, in the world, is not good for any minorities, be it women or gays or religious minorities or anything else, right? There's no flourishing Christians in uh, Islamic countries, right? There's no flourishing Jews in Islamic countries. But, his, but suddenly, uh, they, they put the aim on that. Oh, we're, we're worried about Islamophobia. You would have a rational fear if a whole bunch of people who were saying, we'd like to genocide those people moved into your neighborhood. That would be a problem. So there is no moral authority. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. There's no moral, honest authority in the Democrat party to, to rein in the radicals. There just simply isn't, but they keep putting the, the spokespeople out there so that we don't, so that to basically try to trick us. Like, don't worry, like Biden really is in charge and we have a good handle on all of this. Here's former Biden chief of staff, Ron Klain, Explaining that Biden really is in charge right now. Don't worry about any of that. Sure. Well, I don't want to color it too much. Go ahead. Well, I think they were wise words from a wise president. I think he's just reminding the world and the Israelis that the U.S. did things that regretted after 9-11. He's uh, talked also about combating Islamophobia and anti-Semitism here in our country. So it's a difficult time, but we have a wise, experienced president leading the way for us here in America. Guys, he's wise and inexperienced. He's... <laughs> He's wise and experienced. Don't worry about Joe Biden. Can't say two sentences without fumbling. 
makes up stories constantly, makes up his history, deeply corrupt through his son and a whole bunch of other stuff. Don't worry, and he's gonna deal with all that Islamophobia. You know what he's also gonna deal with? He's also gonna deal with giving money to the people who just uh, caused all of this chaos. That's right, we talked about it last week. We just released 100 million of new funding to the government of Gaza. That is literally Hamas. The people who just did all of this, who in their charter call for the genocide of the Jews, we just, we just gave them a cool 100 mil. Today I'm also announcing $100 million of new U.S. funding for humanitarian assistance in both Gaza and the West Bank. This money will support more than 1 million displaced and conflict-affected Palestinians, including emergency needs in Gaza. Some extent, I, I don't know what to say about this. Like, we are funding basically both sides of this. And these both sides are not equal. One is a tiny Democrat state trying to live by Western values in its historic homeland, and we're also funding the guys trying to kill them. How right now could we say, so he's making a distinction there, right? So there's the West Bank, which again, it's Judea and Samaria. Judea means where the Jews are from, but they don't want any Jews to live there, okay, fine. Again, that's where Jesus was from. He was a, he was a pretty popular Jew, Jesus, right? Okay, um, but they don't want any Jews living there, fine. But he's making a distinction. So we're gonna give 100 million to the government of Gaza and to the West Bank. So the government of Gaza, that's Hamas. There, there's no other guy getting the money. And oh, by the way, we played all the videos last week of how money is fungible, right? We give the six billion back to Iran and they're like, well, we're gonna do whatever we want with it. And then our spokesman get up there and like, well, money's fungible. And yeah, when you give people money, they can do whatever they want with it. So we're giving money to Hamas. We know they will use it for weapons and everything else. And, and God knows what they will use it for. And then I think maybe, 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 not even that we have the money, maybe you could make an argument we should give some money to the Palestinian Authority in the West Bank because they're not quite, I mean, they are basically, we played you the, the thing on, uh, was that Friday, uh, where they're issuing statements, kill all the Jews, but they're not like super duper kill all the Jews all the time. So maybe it keeps a lid on, like to even try to rationalize any of this is completely insane. Uh, but. We're given the money, we know the money is fungible, and then we hand over the money, and then Biden's State Department spokesman, Matt Miller, admits that uh, we don't know what the hell they're gonna do with the money. The, the concern the Israeli government has, and they've said this publicly, and they certainly said it privately to us, is that any assistance that goes in will be diverted once it's inside Gaza. That there is not a there's not an Israeli military force in Gaza, there's not a UN peacekeeping force in Gaza. The people with guns inside Gaza are Hamas. And so Hamas may try to divert this assistance and keep it from getting to the civilians who, who it is intended for. We think that's a legitimate concern. Uh, we've made clear that this aid needs to go to innocent civilians and not Hamas. We're gonna be watching very carefully uh, how it's delivered um, because we wanna be sensitive to those concerns, which we share. I, I, this, this the whole show, can we title this show, Dave doesn't know how to comment on the stupidity? Like, he's admitting it. The Israelis are like, oh, Hamas is running the show. You're giving them 100 million. They have all the guns. We have no ability to manage what's going on down there. And what do you mean? So what do you mean we're gonna make sure the money gets to the people who need it? Like, what does that mean? Like the average Gazan, okay, here's 20 bucks, good luck. Like, what are we even talking about? We are literally paying Hamas and they're, they're full on admitting it. And not only are they fully admitting it, Hamas right now still has probably 20 to 30 American hostages. Okay, killed at least a dozen or a couple dozen Americans. Uh, we know where Hamas's leadership is in Qatar. We haven't demanded that they release the Americans, much less the 200 uh, Israeli hostages or anything else. And here's Secretary of State Tony Blinken 
there's at least 10, it sounds like there's about 10 unaccounted for American hostages. I don't know why we haven't asked anything about them or anything, but here he is. Do you believe that all 10 unaccounted for Americans are being held hostage? Uh, Kristen, we don't know. As you said, we've got 10 unaccounted for Americans. Uh, we believe that uh, some significant number are hostages. But, you know, what's happening is, and it just underscores the horror, uh, Israel continues to discover, uncover people who were killed, who were slaughtered. And I use that uh, term very advisedly, slaughtered on October 7th. So what we don't know for sure is whether some of the um, unaccounted for are dead and have simply not been uncovered yet or whether the hostage, but we, we have a pretty strong idea that some number of the 10 at least are being held in, in Gaza by Hamas. Her next question should be, so are you going to do anything about it, you useless person in an expensive suit? Are you going to do anything about it? We know that Qatar houses all of the leadership of Hamas. Why are we not leveraging that? Why aren't we, I don't know, like I don't wanna get into a war, but we could threaten to blow up Qatar. Guys, if you don't freaking release the American hostages, we're going to blow up Qatar. I I'm not calling for that, but something. Why aren't we putting sanctions on Qatar? Why aren't we saying to Qatar, if you don't kick out the leaders of the group who are holding our people, you're going to have some other problem. It it it's extraordinary. The, the level of complete and utter incompetency by this administration. And again, I would, I would compare this to the border. Is it complete and utter incompetence, or is it, or is it genuine? Uh, is it genuinely that they are trying to destroy America from the inside? So you let everybody in on from the border perspective, and when it comes to foreign policy, it's like you know, well, I don't know where the Americans are. We don't know how many people there are. We know kind of who's in, who's got them and how they got them, but we're just not going to we're just not going to do anything. But my suit is pretty nice. Look at my suit, and look at Joe Biden. He's so pumped, full of wrestling right now. My God, look at his plump face for eighty years old. Anyway, the other problem, of course, is that the media just lies about everything. Hamas, which is the governing authority, a terrorist organization who in their docks, check the docks, kill all the Jews, right? Their whole thing is ethnic cleansing and genocide. But anytime they release any information, oh, a hospital blew up, 500 people are killed. No, it turns out they blew up a parking lot next to the hospital, there's probably about 10 people. And we know that Hamas has weapons there. The mainstream media just repeats Hamas talking points over and over again, thus leading a group of really dumb young people, dudes in dresses with masks, screaming for a free Palestine when they have no idea what they're talking about. Here's just a compilation of Hamas disinformation being spread by uh, mainstream media. But there is a great opportunity for misinformation, especially on social media. I caution you to be very careful about what you choose to believe and on what basis. The horrific scene at a hospital in Gaza today, an explosion that killed more than 500 people. The government in Gaza says the Israeli Defense Forces uh, struck a hospital in the center of Gaza City. An airstrike hit a Gaza City hospital, killing at least 500 people. It's because of an alleged Israeli airstrike on a hospital in Gaza that Hamas health officials say killed more than 500 people. And when you're talking about 500 people, you have to wonder how many of those people are innocent civilians. That minimum, hundreds of people have been killed in what they say was an Israeli airstrike. Where a hospital was caved in, killing hundreds and stranding an untold number 
under the concrete. By far, the deadliest Israeli airstrike ever. Hundreds taking shelter at a Gaza City hospital were killed in an Israeli airstrike today. Israel says it was targeting Hamas hideouts. Palestinian officials saying at least 500 people killed in what they claim was an Israeli airstrike. Aftermath of an alleged airstrike on a Gaza hospital that killed more than 500 people. An Israeli missile struck the hospital. Absolutely horrific loss of life. This is not the first time violence has actually hit what's supposed to be, obviously, a place of healing. Deadly explosion at a hospital in Gaza. Palestinian officials say hundreds were killed and they're blaming Israel. This was not a blast. Uh, this was not an explosion. This was an airstrike. It was a deliberate war crime that Israel conducted on this hospital. All right. Everything that you just heard there was a complete lie. We went through this last week. It was a rocket being shot by Islamic Jihad into Israel and about a quarter of their rockets blow up in Gaza. So they've, they've actually, about 500 rockets at least out of the 7,000 or so that they've shot to Israel have blown up in different parts of Gaza. No one, even Al Jazeera is admitting that it wasn't an Israeli airstrike, but these people lie about everything. And then somehow uh, a president of a synagogue in Rashida Tlaib's district gets stabbed. You might, you might think that these things are connected at some level, right? But thankfully, again, more and more people are seeing through the nonsense. But if you wanna see just one more, I saw this one this morning, this is just so incredible. Put up this map from CNN. This is a map that CNN put up. They have Tel Aviv basically on the border of uh, Lebanon up there. Tel Aviv is in the middle of Israel, that is completely wrong. And Stayrot, which they have in the West Bank, Stayrot is right next to Gaza in reality. That's the place where you, in the old days when the rockets couldn't shoot as far, Stayrot was the place that all the rockets would fall. It's right next, so Gaza you can see there is in the south by the Mediterranean Sea. Stayrot is down there, it is not in the West Bank. Tel Aviv is much more in the center of the country. And, and CNN just puts this map up. They lie. I don't even know what the purpose of them lying about that was, right? Like, how, how did that possibly pass? These people, I don't know what has happened here. Like, I know it at some level, they, like it's, it's years, it's decades of indoctrination and broken brains and hiring all the wrong people that lead to that. But who put that map together? And if that person is not fired, like, what are you doing, CNN? And I guess the question really is not what are they doing? It's like, why are you intentionally doing this? Uh, Brock made a good point. The funniest out of that compilation that we just showed you, the, the funniest thing that they reference is Hamas health officials. What are Hamas health officials? They, Hamas literally keeps bombs and their entire operational center is under the biggest hospital. When that woman says, it's a place of healing, a hospital. Oh, we should tell the people who are literally building bombs and underground tunnels and everything else beneath the hospital. Hamas health officials, it's Dr. Mohammed Mohammed. He's the one that said you should behead people a little bit lower on the neck. He's a health official. So what's the alternative to corporate media? What's the alternative to the endless lies? The people who have gotten everything wrong, who have lied about history so that people have no idea what's going on, and then you have dudes in dresses calling for their own beheadings in cities across America and across the world. Well, the, the answer is that you gotta figure out other ways to get information. Uh, so I wanna show you this clip of, of Joe Rogan. Now Rogan, from my opinion, has not been good on Israel. He has for a long time just put on like radical, crazy leftist, whatever. I sense he may be going through a bit of an awakening on this thing uh, because he's seeing the craziness, right? I'd be happy to go on his show and explain the, the history of this uh, if he wants me, that, that would be fine, but he could put on anyone to do it, it doesn't have to be me. But he's been pretty bad on Israel over the years um, and, and put on some of the, just really the worst people related to all of this. He had Coleman Hughes on. Coleman Hughes uh, is a guy 
I've had him on the show. He happens to be black. He's an interesting thinker. Uh, and Coleman was laying out a pretty clear explanation of there are kind of good guys and bad guys here. And the media has been lying about the hospitals and everything else. And Rogan brought up, brought up how the left, because they own culture, they've, they've owned comedy forever. But even that is changing. He's talking about the Onion and the Babylon Bee specifically. Take a look. The New York Times patiently awaiting Zoom call from Hamas to see what they should print today. <laughs> yeah, so this is this is about the hospital. Yeah, that is the Babylon Bee. Thank God they exist because oh, yeah, like they they disprove the idea that it's only left wing people that are funny. Yeah, that yeah, is yeah. not true. The yeah. Babylon Bee is they out onion the onion often. Yeah. They're amazing. They're much I better love the than onion. the onion. Onion used to be great. Still is good. They still knock it out of the park every yeah. now and again. But yeah. you know they're young, progressive mm -hmm. liberals constrained by a certain ideology that doesn't allow them to poke fun at certain things. You know how much fun they could have, like the trans issue. They, oh, they can't sure. touch it. They yeah. can't touch it. Yeah, yeah. Rachel Levy. They can't touch it. Leave yeah. it alone. Get out yeah. of there. It's too hot. I'll clean that up for you. I mean, the, the onion is abject horrible. It's woke trash and nothing that is woke is funny. The, the uh, headline that they were reading, can we put it up there uh, from the Babylon Bee? This is just great. It, it illustrates uh, everything we were talking about before. New York Times patiently awaiting Zoom call from Hamas to see what they should print today. And as you know, when that hospital uh, bombing, the Islamic Jihad bomb that blew up and destroyed the parking lot next to the hospital, not 500 people and all that. New York Times three times changed their headline. Also on the front page of the New York Times, they showed a building that wasn't even the hospital underneath the headline that was talking about the hospital. So again, guys, what I want the takeaway to be on this Monday is that I get it. Like you see those protests and it's horrible and you see these trans people for this and the media lying about everything, but good, decent people are waking up. I'm also seeing a whole bunch of good, decent people that are going out and buying guns and figuring out how to take care of themselves, maybe know your neighbors so you feel a little more comfort at home uh, and, and just keep exposing this nonsense. That's what you gotta do. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, if you'd like to join us for the post-game show, coming up right now at rubenreport.locals.com. And if you have not subscribed yet on Rumble, please do, uh, you know, at just at any moment, it literally feels like at any moment to me, I could say one thing that ends the YouTube operation. So it's rumble.com slash rubenreport. See you for the post-game, and we will be back tomorrow.